Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning again. Again, my name is Adam. I'm the youth minister here, and I'm so excited to have a conversation with you this morning as we continue in our series that we've been in, um, and, and for the next month or so, uh, as we have guests, preachers come in, um, a lot of them are going to join in on this series that we're going through on the fruits of the Spirit. But before we continue in the series this morning, I, I just want to remind us all, uh, as we're in this season, as we're searching for our next lead minister, you know, it's easy to start to feel discouraged or, or maybe not even feel discouraged, but feel like you're on the sideline waiting for our next leader to come and, and take us where we're going. But what I want to remind you of this morning and bring your attention to throughout this season is that God is still at work in RCC and in your life, no matter if we've found our next lead minister yet or not. So don't feel like we're just on the sidelines waiting because God is alive and active in each and every one of our lives, today, tomorrow, once we find our lead minister, and the days after that as well. And what Chad talked about last week was so beautiful to me that the, the one leading the local church, the one leading RCC, is Jesus. It's not just one person. It's not just a select few people. We've been blessed with leadership that has been faithful to God's calling. But Jesus is the one who's truly leading the local church. So that is a, a great reminder for us to continue to come back to throughout this time. Um, so we're going to jump into this series today. Um, and as we do that, would you bow your heads in prayer with me? God, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for just providing us a place to enter your presence, to listen to what you might have to say to us. God, I pray that this message would be from you, that anything that's not from you would fall to the side. And God, we just ask that you would meet us where we're at right now, and that you would bless this time, this conversation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, we're going to be continuing in the series. And as we have looked at a few fruits of the Spirit, we started off the series by looking at love. Uh, but the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to look at today, I believe, is especially important for the time that we're in right now as a church. And the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to be unpacking today is peace. And my hope is that when we leave here today, that we have a better understanding, not only how to understand peace and what peace from God looks like, but how we're able to apply the peace of God in our lives. So when we're going throughout the series, a key verse for us is going to be Galatians 5, 22, and 23 that we're going to continue to come back to time and time again. Uh, and it just says this. You might know it, but it says this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. But before we keep going with our, our message on peace today, as I was thinking about peace this week, uh, what I realized is that maybe for some of us, when we think about what peace is, it's a lot easier for us to think about what peace isn't. Maybe you think of a situation you've been in, you fill in the blank with a person that you've met or a place you've been, and you're like, I don't know exactly what peace is or how to define it, but I can tell you what it's not, right? And 
you can fill in the blank with whatever situation you've been in. But let me ask you this. How many of you, by raise of hand, have been on a family vacation, maybe with an extended family, and not just like a, we went over to Florence for the day, or we, we went up to Cincinnati for the afternoon. I'm talking like one of those, we packed up three cars and caravan down to Florida, or we packed up all our suitcases and flew across the country. How many of us have been on a trip like that? Awesome. Well, if your family is anything like mine, uh, those long drives or long airport trips aren't necessarily picture perfect, right? Sometimes it ends up being more like a comedy movie than a, a family vacation, and especially if you have little kids with you on the trip, right? I remember growing up, I have three younger siblings, and growing up, we would get in the minivan to go down to Florida, and whether it was in the first hour or the last hour, we would bicker and fight, and there would always be some sort of argument between siblings. And uh, my parents tell me, even before I had siblings, that I was one of those babies that when we went on a long car ride, I would cry and cry and cry. And my parents were fed up with it a lot of times, but they just had to sit there and listen to it. So for all parents of excessive crying babies around the world, I apologize on behalf of us. I promise we don't stay that way uh, most of the time. Uh, but when we're on those vacations, a lot of times it's not peaceful getting there. And maybe you're lucky. Maybe you're a lucky parent. And you're like, I got to our destination. I got to the beach. And we're like, man, that actually wasn't so bad. Like, it, the drive went pretty smooth. And then you're sitting there on the beach. You're sitting there in the condo. And you realize, dang it, I have to do that same drive at the end of the week. And everybody's going to be a little bit more tired, a little bit more annoyed, a little bit more sunburnt. And then you're like, okay. I did notice that the restaurant down the street was hiring. Maybe little Johnny can go and wash dishes. I'll get him set up down here. That way I won't have to deal with him arguing with his sister the whole ride back. And obviously, we probably wouldn't do that, right? We probably wouldn't leave our kid to work and wash dishes. Well, maybe not all of us, but for most of us, that's not the reality. But the reality is, is that you and I, we know very well. We know very well what it looks like to be in a place that is not peaceful. And you know, if you don't have moments like that with your family, you don't have to look very hard around you or in our world to find moments that are not peaceful or, or filled with chaos. I mean, especially over the past few years, we've seen the worldwide pandemic kill over six million people. We've seen the hands of poverty and homelessness impact many. We've seen companies having to make large cuts, leaving many looking for a job. We've seen far too many people fall at the hands of gun violence and mass shootings. We've seen unjust police brutality take life. We've watched an evil war break out in Ukraine. And all in all, we've just seen people turn against one another in a lot of ways. And that list could go on and on, but the reality in our world, for each and every one of us, is that the presence of chaos and non-peaceful moments are bountiful. So this morning, I want to ask ourselves two questions that will help us think about peace and what peace as a fruit of the Spirit might look like. The first question is this, how can peace be possible in a world full of chaos? How can it be possible? The second question is this, what does it look like to live a life in which we embody the peace that comes from God? in which we embody the peace that comes from God. And these are especially important questions for us to answer when chaos and disarray seem like they are around every corner we turn, right? And this morning, we're going to try to answer these two questions. And we're going to go on two different journeys to do so. On the first journey, we're going to look at what it means to receive peace from God. 
And on the second journey, we're going to look at what it means to follow our call to be peacemakers in our world. So I want to start that first journey with you and, and look at what it means to receive the peace of God. And if you were to start at a basic level, you might look for the definition of peace. And if you were to Google it, you would find the definition to be freedom from disturbance. Freedom from disturbance. However, as we try to understand the peace that comes from God, I think a better definition of true peace might be freedom from and in the midst of disturbance. Not only freedom from disturbance, but freedom in the midst of disturbance. Did you catch the difference there? Because you see, the world around us tells us that peace lies on the other side of a disturbance in our life being settled. But this morning, I want to let us know that the peace of God in our lives, true peace that is found in God, will not be overtaken by the circumstances around us. Because just as we mentioned a second ago, the speed bumps and the curveballs and the chaos in our life, those things are a reality. Those things are unavoidable at times. But because we know that, we know that we're going to face chaos at some point. Whether you faced it yesterday, you're coming out of a moment of chaos, whether you're in the middle of it right now, or whether it's coming tomorrow, the presence of chaos in our lives is real. But what I wholeheartedly believe, because of God's work in my life along with God's word in scripture, is that we find true peace when we understand that peace from God means that we get to live into the chaos, not back up in fear, but we get to walk forward in confidence knowing that we serve a God who has gone before us, who has overcome the world, and no matter how big the obstacle in front of us, how scary the diagnosis, how large the doubt, how bad our situation might seem, we know that God can get us through any chaos we might face. And what I want you to hear this morning, whether you've been following Jesus on this journey for 65 years or for two weeks, is that peace is not a product of your environment, rather a state of your heart. Peace is not a culmination of all of your experiences put into one feeling. Peace is the state of your heart in which we are surrendered to God. And what this means is that we don't reach peace because our lives have suddenly become less stressful or, or our portfolio is finally stable or what we were hoping for finally comes into fruition. Because maybe some of us for a long time now have been living with the mindset that peace is on the other side of the obstacle in front of us. But what I, got, what I hear God saying to us is that he wants to give us peace through the obstacle. Yes, there may be peace on the other side of the obstacle, but don't miss out on the peace that God has for you in the midst of the challenge that you're in. And the implication of that, as we begin to understand that, is that we have access to a peace that isn't conditional to the circumstances in our lives. No amount of hard days can take away the peace that God has for us. And to see this more clearly, I, I want to go to John 16. So if you are reading in front of you, turn to John 16, or you can follow along on the screen. We're in John 16, verse 33. I want to start reading through this with you. And, and Jesus is talking here, and he starts off by saying, I have told you all this so that. And I want to pause right there, because 
that statement tells us that whatever Jesus had just told his disciples who he was talking to is the reason why the next thing he says can be true. So right before this in John 16, Jesus had just walked his disciples through the journey that he was going to go on. He tells his disciples, hey, look, I know you've been following me and I know that you are, are confident in the situation we're in right now, but soon I'm going to leave you. He's like, hey, I know that everything seems stable, but soon I'm going to leave you. I'm not going to be here with you. And you're going to weep and mourn. And his disciples, I can only imagine their minds being like, Jesus, what do you mean? We just left everything for you? We just dropped everything in our lives and we're following you now and you're going to leave us? We're going to be weeping and mourning? What in the world are you talking about, Jesus? And as he's telling them that, he also tells them, hey, you're going to be weeping and mourning, but you will see me again. You'll see me again. The weeping and the mourning will end and rejoicing will begin because although I was gone for a moment, I will return. You will see me again. And here in verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you all this so that, essentially saying, because you will see me again, you may have peace in me. You may have peace in Jesus and what I notice about how Jesus says this is Jesus doesn't say that one day we will obtain peace once we see him again or, or things will finally be peaceful when we reach the time when we see him again. No, what he's saying and the implications of what he's saying means that the peace of knowing that we'll see him again, knowing that we will see Jesus in the future, lets us have peace in the present. And maybe today you need to hear that reminder. Even if it seems like everything is falling apart, that you just can't catch a break, that your situation just keeps going downhill, and you're like, God, where are you at? Maybe this morning you need to hear Jesus' voice saying, I know the winds are strong. I know the waves are high. I know it seems hopeless. But set your focus on me and receive the peace that I offer you. Set your focus on Jesus and receive the peace he offers you. Not a peace that is waiting for you, but a peace that is here for you. Why are we able to do that? Well, verse 33, it goes on and says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. That's our reality. But take heart because I have overcome the world. And, and you probably are familiar somewhat with this verse. You probably have read it before, heard it before. But what I want you to notice this morning is the interaction in this verse of the you will and the I have. Jesus says, you will have many trials and sorrows. I have overcome the world. You will have relationships not work out. I have the perfect relationship with you. You will be let down by others. I have never let you down. You will feel defeated. I have victory for you. You will feel overwhelmed by the chaos around you. I have peace for you. And, and what we have to see is that far too often we focus on the you wills in our life. God, God, I can't do this. I'm going through this. I wasn't expecting this to happen. This isn't how I planned it. 
and we get caught up in the you wills and we miss out on what Jesus said that he has already done. Because as followers of Jesus, we must choose to look for God at work in the midst of the trials, knowing that he has overcome the world. And slowly but surely, we're able to shift our focus from all the things going wrong in our lives, all the things that seem to be falling apart, to then seeing how God is greater than anything we may face, and that he's going to deliver us through the rough times. And if we're truly going to believe that peace is not only freedom from disturbance, but freedom even in the midst of disturbance, then we must realize that peace is not a place that we earn. Peace is not a level of achievement that we get to or a a level of age or faith that we get to. Peace is his presence that we enter. You know, I think it's so easy for us to cry out to God and ask him to give us peace when we feel overwhelmed by the circumstances around us or in our culture. But what if, what if we're so busy asking God to stop the chaos around us that we end up completely missing out on the one who is peace himself, even within the chaos? Because wouldn't it be a shame if our spirits were so preoccupied with God getting us out of a situation that we miss out on the peace that he has for us in the midst of the situation. Because the reality, the reality, guys, that I've seen in God's word and watched play out in his Holy Spirit is that where the presence of God is received, peace follows. Where God goes, peace follows. Where the presence of God rests, peace is present. God's present presence is full of peace. And maybe you're listening to those words and you're thinking like, Adam, I've been asking God for peace in my life about a situation or to get me out of this situation for years. And Adam, nothing has happened. I don't feel peace. I don't see any reason for it. I don't understand. And if that's you, maybe for far too long, You've been equating peace to resolution of the chaos. And I I believe that we have to stop thinking that peace is on the other side of the solved problem and realize that true and unexplainable peace is found in the prince of peace, in Jesus. And, And not that working towards solutions or working through our issues is irrelevant, but before we can even do that, we must realize that where the presence of God is received, Peace follows. So this morning, as we begin to end the first journey that I mentioned earlier of looking at what it means to receive peace from God, let me just encourage you for a second. Because the reality is I don't know every single one of your stories or the intricate details of what you're going through or the the problems you face when you wake up every single day. I don't know the intricacies of the diagnosis that you've received or knowing how things are going to play out in your life. I don't know all of those things. But what I do know is that whether we've had some of the hardest months of our lives recently or we're like, hey, it's been smooth sailing. Things are pretty good. What I know to be true is that wherever we might be, we cannot allow our peace 
to come from our circumstances. Because if it's been rough, man, God can provide you a peace that your circumstances cannot. If it's been smooth sailing, one of these days it's not going to be. That's, that's just the reality of the world we live in. And if your peace had been coming from your circumstances being good, once chaos ensues, you'll be thrown into the waves. So wherever you feel like you're at right now in your life, my challenge to you and my encouragement to you is to anchor yourself in peace. Not just any peace. The peace that we find in the presence of God because we can only chase after a perfect life for so long. And eventually, chaos will find us. And the only way to true and unexplainable peace is by surrendering our hearts to the one who is peace. And I'll say it again. Peace is not a place that we earn. Peace is not a place that we earn. Rather, it is his presence. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace. It's his presence that we enter. So now I want to I shift gears a little bit and take us on this second journey that I mentioned at the beginning as we ask ourselves, what does it mean to follow our call to be peacemakers in our world? What does that mean? And I like to turn um, to James 3 as we do that um, because once we have a basis of what it means to, to receive peace from God or what peace from God is, we can then begin to see how we can live into the world as peacemakers and apply the peace that God has given us. So in, in James 3, we're going to be in verses 17 and 18, if you're reading along, or you can follow along on the screen. We're mostly going to be in verse 18, but I'm going to read through these couple verses for us really quick. James 3:17 through 18 says, But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So what I want to do now is try to help us see how in each and every one of our lives, we have a calling on our lives to be peacemakers. And we have to see that God's peace in our life isn't something that's meant to just give us peace of mind and then we go back to our little bubble and we stay there. Rather, God's peace is meant to be applied into our chaotic world as we live into our calling to be peacemakers. You know, recently I read a book um, by a late theologian uh, that I really liked he, in which he addressed three key themes that we as followers of Jesus can live into on our journey to being peacemakers. So I want to look through those three themes with you this morning uh, before we wrap up. But the first theme that I believe we can embody as peacemakers might be one that you hear and you're like, oh man, that's obvious. Adam, that's just a cop-out answer, right? But this first theme is one that truly has power to bring peace into any room we could ever step in, any situation we could ever encounter. And the first theme we're going to look at is prayer. But this morning, I don't want to talk about how to pray necessarily, because I would say we ha all have a, at least a basic understanding of what prayer is in general. Today, I want us to look at and think about how a lifestyle of prayer or constantly being in communion with the Father can help us be peacemakers in our world. And one way to see that and understand that is to, to think about how prayer 
helps us focus on our purpose. Because sometimes we get caught in a cycle where our prayers are only consisting of asking God to do things for us or, or to heal that person. Or God, would you help this person get through that time? Or God, would you do this? Not that those are bad things, but let me ask you, how often are you spending time in prayer with God where you aren't asking for anything? How often are you just resting in God's presence, allowing him to speak to you? How often do we just go to the Heavenly Father, not with an agenda of what we need, but just to be with him? And one thing I know about fathers, Heavenly Father and worldly fathers included, or honestly just anybody that we spend a lot of time with, is that when you start hanging out with somebody, after a while you tend to start doing things similarly to them. Uh, maybe you start talking like them or thinking like them or liking the same food as them. I know for me, my dad has some really bad, cheesy dad jokes that like, just are not that funny. But, the, but I love his dad jokes. And I wouldn't tell that to his face because it would boost his dad joke ego way too much. And he would be throwing them out way too much. But I really love them. And I think they're really hilarious. And I found myself telling similar cheesy dad jokes that aren't even really that funny, but I just love them. And unfortunately for my close friends and my girlfriend, they have to deal with all these silly jokes that I tell that probably aren't that funny. But it goes to show that when we spend a lot of time with someone, when we're in the presence of someone, we begin to become like them in some ways. And in the same way, one of the best ways for us to embody the teachings of Jesus is to simply be in his presence one way that we can live more in line with the Spirit of God is to just be in prayer with Him, be in communication with Him. Because when we spend time with Him, we start to think like Him. Our thoughts begin to align with His thoughts. Our lives begin to embody who Jesus is. And that's why prayer is the basis for peacemaking, because it allows God to work in our own hearts. It allows God to uncover all of the chaos and destructive thoughts and brokenness within ourselves so that we can fully understand that the chaos we see around us in the world isn't something that we're disconnected from because we too have our own chaos. We too are in some way contributing to the chaos around us. And once we see that and then and only then are we able to ask God not only to bring peace to them or to the other or help them, but God, would you bring peace to us? God, would you help us? Because we need God intervention and peace on our lives just as much as the next person. I love how Henry Nouwen, a, a writer and theologian, puts it. He says this, he says, if we cannot see the dark works of conflict and war in our daily lives, we will never fully understand the cruelty, torture, and mass murder that fills the pages of our newspapers day after day. Only when we are willing to repeatedly confess that we too have dirty hands, even when we work for peace, can we fully understand the hard task of peacemaking. So as we embrace the journey of being a peacemaker, we have to understand that in order for us to bring peace in the best way possible into all aspects of our lives, we first must allow God, the Spirit of God, to transform our hearts in prayer, to allow God to be the one guiding our every thought and our every step, 
That way when we face the chaos of this world, we're not just pouring our chaos into it. We're intervening God's peace into the areas in our life. Because where the Spirit of God goes, peace follows. So our first action of being a peacemaker is a lifestyle of prayer. And the next theme I want to look at with you this morning is resistance. You might ask yourself, well, if we're talking about peace this morning, why would a key theme of being a peacemaker be resistance? What it means to be a peacemaker with the tool of resistance is to be somebody who is going to resist the works of chaos in the world around us and live life by peacefully pushing back against the forces of violence and disorder that are so prevalent in our world. And James tells us that those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. In other words, he's saying it is right for us to plant seeds of peace as followers of Jesus. And the reality is that in our world today, in the world we're living in, it is not a common thing to be somebody who's planting seeds of peace. It's just not. And it, essentially, spreading peace in our daily lives through the way we're living, the way we're talking, the way we're acting, is an act of resistance against the forces of evil and chaos at work in the world around us. You know, I'm not a, a gardener by any means, but I have some indoor house plants. Maybe you're a gardener or you do a little bit of farming. You know that when you plant a seed in the ground, it takes some time to grow and mature and get to the point where there's anything to harvest or to reap any harvest. And, and maybe what James is saying here that we need to notice is that when we're planting seeds of peace, when we're being peacemakers by planting seeds of peace around us, it could be easy to get discouraged by saying, you know, I planted these seeds of peace everywhere I went this week. I don't see anything coming from it. I don't see any harvest of righteousness that James talked about. But take heart because the work of peace may not be an immediate thing that we notice the results of, but the results will come. Where seeds of peace are planted, a harvest of righteousness is gained. And so as we're resisting the forces of chaos in the world, you might ask yourself, what does that even look like? I think it looks like when divisiveness and people being rude to one another become prevalent. We become a voice of reconciliation. When violence and retaliation is the norm, we stay committed to God's peace. When hatred rises up, we meet it with unmovable love. When someone disagrees with us, we listen before throwing a rebuttal. When people exclude or discriminate, we show that God created and loves everyone. When we're told that we have to revert to attacks or war, we stand unmovable on the peace that God has for us. And if you want a real world example of that, we can look at the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He used the nonviolent peace of God to spark a movement that would help change the world around him and his faithfulness in planting seeds of peace would reap real transformation that would make the world a better place for every single one of us. And what I hope you see this morning is that we are not called to be people disengaged from our world, holding on to the peace in our own little circle, 
Rather, God is calling us to engage the world around us, planting seeds of peace everywhere we go that are going to grow and flourish and bring goodness and peace to our communities and our world. And the call of being a peacemaker through resistance is one, like I said, that might not show results right away. But when we plant seeds of peace and be faithful to God's call in our life in that way, God will use it to bring goodness and peace into our world. So we have the call to be peacemakers through prayer, going to God and resting in his presence. We have the call to be peacemakers through the way we resist the forces of chaos in our world. And the last theme that I want to look at this morning before we wrap up is community. And community is a word that's thrown around a lot in Christian circles, right? And it could be easy for the word community to get lost in translation or to get lost in concepts and ideas. But what I hope is that when we think of community, we'll realize that in order for us to fully embody Jesus' word, or in this case, embody God's peace in our lives, man, we cannot do it alone. We have to do it together. Because if we're going to try and go on the peace journey of prayer and resistance by ourselves, man, we will feel burnt out, we will get discouraged, and we will probably stop. That's the reality. But when we do it in community, community gives us the inspiration, the encouragement, surrounding ourselves with people who are on the same mission. And that's where we see the power of the local church at play, right? Because one person committed to peace work yeah, they can make an impact, but when a community of people commit themselves to peace work, man, the world can change. It can change. Community helps us move forward when we're tired. Community helps us see that the seeds of, plant, seeds of peace that we're planting are actually doing something. Community allows us to see that God's peace work is larger than ourselves. God is going to do what God's going to do. God is a God of doing good works in our world. He's going to bring peace into people's personal lives and communal lives. And we have the beautiful invitation as followers of Jesus to join in on that journey and be a part of what God is doing. But in order to do that, with that what we're going to have to do to join in on God's work is we're going to have to lay down our own desires at times. Man, we're going to have to sacrifice our own comforts at times. And ultimately, we're going to have to commit ourselves to the communal piecework that God is doing in our lives. Band, you can begin to make your way to the stage. And as we're on this journey together of being peaceworkers, being people who are wholeheartedly committed to the work of God in our world, we first must live a lifestyle that goes to the Father in prayer, rests in his presence, and allows it to be the fuel in which we live our life. Next, we might need to realize that we can peacefully resist the forces of chaos in our world around us and understand that we cannot do this alone. We must rely on a community to support one another in our journey to plant seeds of peace as we follow God's call on our life. So church family, this is what I'll leave you with this morning. 
is that God is a God of peace. And for us to weaponize his word or name would be to take his name in vain if we were to do that to bring more chaos into the world. So my invitation to you this morning, and I believe God's invitation to you each morning, is lay down your own desires. Pick up the call from Jesus on your life to be a peacemaker as we immerse ourselves in the presence of God through a lifestyle of prayer, planting seeds of peace through nonviolence and resistance to the chaos in our world and surrounding ourselves in a community that is committed to the direction God is leading us. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for being a God who meets us where we are, who picks us up in our brokenness, provides us peace in the midst of chaos. I pray that we as a people would be committed to seeing your work at play in our lives and in our community. I pray that we would ask you to stretch us, to take us out of our comfort zone so that we might see your work overtake every aspect of our lives so we would be people committed to your peace as we live into the world around us. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.